Hello and welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, the weekly show where we talk about all things RPGs and often not just RPGs. Nadia, you're you're here and looking prime for a pit. How are you feeling? I feel like a pit. I'm just so I'm so tired. I was up all night uh, playing Octo 2. Oh, we will be talking about some Octopath 2. I am Eric Van Allen, one of your hosts, alongside Nadia Oxford. Cat Bailey could not be here. Uh, once again, so many packs of cigarettes she goes out for out on the high seas, you know, she leaves and doesn't she, tell us. Once in a while, she mixes it up and says, All right, I'm going out for some milk. And it takes a long time to pick up milk, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm, about two weeks. You have to find the cow and it's a whole thing. As always, we are here to talk about all things RPGs. And this week, that includes Octopath Traveler 2, which as of this recording came out yesterday. By the time you are listening, uh, y'all have probably already put some hours into this game. And we got the one, the only Jason Schreier on to talk a little bit about Octopath Traveler 2. That'll be coming up later in the main segment of the show. But for now, as always, we are an independent podcast. You can support us by heading over to patreon.com slash bloodgodpod and backing us there. If you do back us, you get access to so many excellent specials. We've got a Pantheon episode coming up where the three of us, alongside a special guest, will talk about Lunar Silver Star Story. Boy, I was worried I was going to fumble on that one. Congratulations. <laughs> it's a tongue twister I of a JRPG. Uh, yeah, we've got a Pantheon coming up for that, uh, where we'll talk about whether or not that game deserves to be in the Pantheon of all-time great RPGs. And the Pantheon vote is currently underway for our next monthly game club, and it is a hot race between a bunch of Mario RPGs. We've got Superstar Saga, we've got Paper Mario, we've got Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, and of course, Super Mario RPG, which I think right now is in the clear lead. Uh, it is. Yeah, last I checked, it was probably going to be the winner which is i understand why but i'm kind of disappointed we're not going to get to do a thousand year door oh i wanted superstar saga it just came out on the switch we got to talk about how good superstar is it's such a wonderful game it's okay well we'll have more time we'll have more time later we also have specials while you are listening to this. Hopefully by the time this is up for the free feed listeners, John Wick Chapter 3 special should be up. It was a long week for me, so I'm still working on editing that one, but it should be up and on the feed by the time you are listening to this on the free feed. And if you're listening to this early, that means you are a star of destiny here in the chat with us hanging out while we record live. Right now we've got Abby of the Moon. Art Raider, Not Hollow, Mango Ult, Sardin, Teeps, and Zoo Batman hanging out with us. And a few others, you know, who could be here on this fine Saturday morning. But we, we want to shout them out, too. So thank you all for supporting and tuning in. Nadia, I feel like our what we're playing is going to be pretty short this week because we got to save a lot of it for the Octopath 2 segment. <laughs> we do. But unlike you, I did get uh, like uh, when I started talked to Shrier, which spoiler alert, the, the episodes or the segments are even recorded. I had only done uh, some of the demo. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I finished. Basically, I, I bought the full game and I'm playing the full thing. And right now I'm on the chapter of uh, you just told me his name. and I completely forgot it. Oswald. Oswald. I keep calling him Ivor the engine driver. And I don't understand why, but it's the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's just either way he has a very serious voice and i like him very much he has a really fascinating story but uh the more i kind of sit here the more i kind of want to be out there playing octopath so uh mm. you people are really holding us back very we're, your mothers and i are very ashamed of you 
Yeah, one thing that we didn't touch on in our main in our main show segment that I will say uh we do have a great time talking about all that stuff. We get into depth and we won't go into depth here. Uh but one thing I will say that I've since encountered is you will hear in that main show segment uh i i was still in the process of recruiting all the characters because i got so sidetracked by the dungeons and side stories that are absolutely amazing in this game yeah but uh last night after we recorded or yeah no that that lines up right about right uh last night after we recorded uh i went and finished recruiting everybody and have done most of the chapter twos at this point (laughs) uh i i hit the I, i put some wheels on the track there and I am amazed by the writing in this game. Uh, it is so snappy. I did not think that you could tell me that that the Octopath Two would have, you know, the Count of Monte Cristo as an RPG story over here, but then you go over here and it's a cleric doing basically the plot of Seven, uh, the movie Seven, Sweet. and it, really? it kind of rules. It's kind of my favorite plot line in the game. Uh, <laughs> And I, I I can't stress enough for folks who played the original Octopath and maybe bounced off of the the high fantasy, you know, the the Haunted stuff and all that. Uh, this is so different. This is so rad. Although I will say uh, some ridiculous Southern accents in this game that yeah. I. But you know, <laughs> I, as as a Southerner, I do think that if the British are going to get a bunch of bad fake British accents, we should get a bunch of fake bad Southern accents. That's totally fair. That's all, you know, we all take our like American and and how do you think Canadians are depicted? Just, I Mm. I don't know. You guys make it sound like space aliens. Yeah. I I don't know anything about that. (sighs) See, see, I don't say a boot. I don't get that about, am I saying about, am I saying a boot? No, it's, it's just my personal favorite one it's like when i go up north to visit my family that lives up there and they all say pop and i love it when they say pop because it's you never hear it down south you never hear that it's always a coke or or a soda um which even that i say like my northern cousins but (laughs) i like having a a southern uh, husband who he's when he's first arrived some people were kind of confused by his accent but it smoothed out a bit Uh, but he still says naked as naked Mm-hmm. And I always think he's joking, but he's not joking. <laughs> he's running around bug naked out there. <laughs> Got on naked as a mule's ass out there. Um. Well, the thing is, and, and I want to bring this to attention, Octopath 2 and anybody else who has, uh, you know, Southern accents in your video games, in your media, there's a wide variety of Southern accents. And I feel are. I feel we could explore more of them. I feel like we could delve deeper into the Southern accents. You've got like the the smooth as molasses one. You've got the Cajun country one. You've got a Florida Southern accent is going to sound completely different from a Texas Southern accent. So and there's the North Carolina accent, which I'm quite familiar with because of my husband. Abby in the chat says, I don't super feel that Texas is the South like Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi. And I do agree with you. Those are two very different flavors of the South, but they are still the South. Uh, We can't argue geography. Uh, Seriously, it's it's hot and you'll melt. It is the South. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, different kinds of hot, too. Look, it's one of my favorite bits from. King of the Hills when they go to Arizona. Arizona can't be 110 degrees, can it? Oh my God, it's like standing <laughs> on the surface of the sun. This place is a testament to mankind's arrogance that should not exist. 
<laughs> I love that one. That's um, great. King of the Hill is a beautiful series because it's funny if you just watch it, but it is one of the funniest shows in existence if you've ever lived in Texas. It is the most honest to Texas in ways that are so specific that you know it came from the heart. Octopath 2, we'll talk about it in the main show segment. Other things we've been doing, Nadia, I haven't really been playing too much. Uh, I've been watching a lot of stuff. I've been watching that Last of Us TV show, and that's been interesting. Uh, I, I don't know if we've really talked about it here on the show. We t- I think we talked a little bit about it when Kat was here, because mm-hmm. I am, just have no plans to watch it. It just seems so, like, I hated the road. Mm. It just was too dark, too grimy, too awful. And just I'm a big fan of post-apocalyptic stuff. One of my favorite mm-hmm. movies in the world is Threads, which is horrifying. But mm. when I read something like The Road, I'm just like, people are bad. They can be bad, but they're not like this all the freaking time every day of the week. And you can't just be I'm the one shining beacon in the sea of, of, of Cretans. Just I don't, know, I don't like that kind of narrative. And maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe. The Last of Us isn't that grim, but I've heard otherwise. So uh, it's it's pretty grim. Yeah. I, what what I will say is that so I've played The Last of Us Part One, uh, and I've been watching the show. There are some pretty big differences between the video game and the show that I won't go into. We're not going to talk spoilers or anything. Don't worry. But the one thing I will say about The Last of Us is I feel The Last of Us Part One especially with the show, which the show is like really hammering this point home. I've been talking a lot with um, my my Normandy FM co-host, Kenneth Shepard, about this, is that they're really ramping up to not just what will ultimately be the big moment at the end of season one, but also this idea of if the world is so fucked, you know, if the world is so gone, what is worth protecting to exactly you. and and the idea of you know what do we what do we allow ourselves to give you know how much are we willing to give of ourselves and how much do we need to keep for ourselves to maintain our own humanity and i do think that is compelling because i do think there's a lot of i don't know um just there is a lot of talk about how grim these games are. And I think one of the big changes of the show is that they try to put some level of silver lining on it, largely with changes to things like the bill story in, in the show is like sweet and depressing and beautiful. Whereas in the game, it is just hauntingly depressing and just, Oh God, that one's a gut punch in the game. But in the show, it's like this big prestige television affair and all that. And I also like that the zombie stuff feels like a constant undercurrent. So I think The Walking Dead always had trouble balancing human threats and zombie threats. And really zombies just showed up when they needed an existential threat that was not the humans. I think the way The Last of Us is handling it is that zombies or or whatever they want to call them infected, you know, there was a report about how they don't want to call them zombies and all that. Our dragons are different as the trope goes. Zombies. (laughs) But there's there's like a constant undercurrent that like infection and the potential death from infection and how massive the the infection has already run, like how much of the world is already infected is just a constant undercurrent through all of this. And I think that's really compelling because it is that level of like who is 
are we the last of us, you know, or are we the last people left who is even left? And, and are we okay with fighting and dying to each other when like we're running out of people? <laughs> <laughs> Not a whole lot of humans um, left. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's compelling. I think it's interesting. I also have been watching poker face uh, on Peacock. It's not oh, yeah. video game related at all. I just wanted to shout it out once on this podcast. Poker Face with Natasha Leon. Very, very good. It's a really good show. I highly recommend it. Natasha my- Leon is a gem and we should all support her. Uh, that's all I have to say. My husband and I have been catching up on Dragon Ball Super because we hadn't watched oh. it before. Yeah. So, well, what arc are you on? Uh, we just f- we are in the middle of Frieza. Um, he came back. And, right. Uh, <clears throat> wait frieza came back is dragon ball super right not dragon ball z no it's dragon ball super it's basically the one with beerus and uh Whis. right right now uh goku and vegeta are off training on planet triangle and uh yeah right okay yeah okay now i know where you are okay yeah I remember it's now. uh here's the thing i don't like frieza i don't care about frieza's thing but i love beerus i think he's great i think his character design is just perfect peak toriyama like a destroyer would be a cat because cats are evil, but mm, also mm-hmm. just such a lazy off tables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What happens if I push this coffee cup? Uh, you don't have to do that. You know, you, you can not do that. Yeah. But I, I relate to cats because they also just have intrusive thoughts. Sometimes they're like, but what if I did this? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I totally what? understand I get that. I, I get stop that. destroying my shit. But uh, yeah, I just like Beerus. I like his design. I If I have another cat, maybe I'll name it Beerus. That'd be a great name for a cat. Speaking of cats, ladies and gentlemen, we just had Poe jump up on the table. Uh, that is Eric's cat, who is infamously sensitive. Uh, apparently, Eric, what is it? You like, that's right, you dropped something and, and poor Poe thought the end of the world was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before this podcast, uh, Poe, <laughs> I burned my tongue on my coffee and in a moment of, you know, just just sheer tongue burningness, I, I slammed my fist on the table and Poe was below the, the table uh, oh, lying down underneath no, it. Baby. And suddenly was like, oh, ha, ho. So, yeah, no, he's look, he just wants attention. So he's he has since been taken back to the uh, the back room and, and is going to hang out in timeout for the rest of the show. But. I don't know. He's been getting better. He's been getting better is, about not is, making noise. Been... He was he was out for for all of the the Wick special that we had, and last week he was hanging around, so he's all good. Oh, see, Abby of the Moon just uh, showed us a picture of the German Shepherd. I love Shepherd so much. I miss. Aww. I think a lot about Rush, my first German Shepherd. Like he was really bonded to me. Like he was. I remember the day we brought him home. Um, he was a little tiny, eight week old puppy, and we knew his father. We knew his mother. His father was fantastic. I base the first thing I remember is he was in the living room with my brother and I, and he takes a dump on the floor because of course he does. My brother's like, "Ew, I'm not cleaning that up." And he leaves, and I'm like, "Well, I guess this is my dog now." So I took him with me to sleep on my bed that night, and uh, there was like a small crack between my bed and the wall. And I wake up and I just hear <laughs> like you know yipping and crying, and I mm-hmm, look and mm-hmm. Rush is like stuck on his back in between the crack, and his paws are up in the air. So I rescued him, and from then on he was mine. But uh, yeah, he was a big boy, unfortunately. He, I can't remember what he died of. I know he had bad hip dysplasia, so we probably had to put him down for that reason alone. But he was a great dog. Aw. Dog with a blood god. Shouts to all the, the pets of the blood god. 
Uh, here's what else is out this week coming up as you are listening to this podcast. On February 27th, we do have Destiny 2 Lightfall, which means Eric is once again going through the motions of do I get back into Destiny? Uh, this one looks kind of neat, not going to lie. Uh, and on March 3rd, Wolong Fallen Dynasty, a Three Kingdoms game from the Team Ninja folks, uh, is coming out. And that looks uh, looks kind of neat. That's all right, yeah. Uh, that is all for the release schedule this week. And now for a series of random encounters. Baldur's Gate 3 has locked in an August 31st release date and... It's coming to PlayStation 5 with cross-progression with PC and Mac. That was all from the PlayStation State of Play, which also unveiled that J.K. Frickin' Simmons is voicing <laughs> an yes. antagonist in Baldur's Gate 3. I recommend you go watch the video of him voicing that character. It's incredible. More RPGs need to hire this man to voice things. It's beautiful. Now, if you have heard PS5, PC and Mac, you may be wondering, but what about Xbox? Well, Larian took to the subreddit, actually, the Baldur's Gate 3 subreddit to answer that and said that they are working on an Xbox version and they have been for some time, but they've run into technical issues, particularly with the split screen co-op. They will continue to work on the Xbox version of Baldur's Gate 3, but they are not yet confident enough to officially announce it. As Larian says, we don't like announcing anything until we're ready because we don't want to get people's hopes up, hopes up until we're sure we can deliver. Uh, I respect that. And honestly, it's a little bit of transparency that you love to see in the industry. A little surprise bit of transparency this week, by the way. Warner Brothers Discovery uh, head, head over there doing a financial call. Just dropped oh, Mortal yeah. Kombat 12 was like. P.S. Mortal Kombat 12. It's happening. So yeah, that's like, fun. I, I guess uh, earnings calls are Evo now. So yeah, pretty cool. yeah, that I've often said we need to mix the two, you know, uh, that would be Honk a lot more exciting. <laughs> Honkai Star Rail impressions are in. Seems good. There you go. Look forward to that, I guess. Uh, Shinji Mikami is leaving Tango Gameworks. Toru Okada, creator of the iconic PlayStation logo boot sound, has died at age 73. Uh, Shoutouts to that. Shoutouts to the barrel. The best headline <sighs> I ever wrote for you as gamer was just that sound. I spelled it out like, <laughs> and like, you know, just talked about the origin of the sound because it was, a, there was a whole article about it that, that week. I remember you, me, Katie, and Kat, we were in Slack or sorry, Discord, arguing what this sound was. How would you type it out? And at the mm -hmm. end, the way I concluded the article was like, well, there's no wrong way to hear the voice of God, which to me is what the <laughs> PlayStation sound is. So RIP, it's a real one there. Oh, that does sound like another day in the USG. Uh, <laughs> Elden times. Ring hits 20 million copies sold. Microsoft says it won't consider a version of the Activision Blizzard deal where it does not also get Call of Duty. And by the time you are listening to this podcast, the Pokemon Presents has probably already aired, but there is a Pokemon Presents on February 27th. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping for some DLC for Scarvi. Uh, I, I feel like it's time for them to talk about it, and I, I'm really looking forward to it. So I am hoping for a breakdown of what these fixes that are coming up are actually going to fix. That's all the news that's fit to shout about. 
But coming up here is Octopath Traveler 2 with our guest, Jason Schreier. Don't go far. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we are back with our main show segment here to talk about Octopath Traveler 2. It's me, Eric. It's Nadia. And joining us, Jason Schreier. How you doing? Good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Anytime. We definitely got to get you here when we have the Suikoden remakes. Like, Oh, my God. Ooh. I'm so excited. And then Aiden also. Oh, my. It'll be a party. Oh, yeah. You know, I love. Did you like Rising Chronicles? I loved Rising Chronicles. I, I, it was not for me, but I'm it was excited for the based. real thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was. did it make you at least excited for like the world building and the characters and stuff like that? I didn't play enough to get excited. Uh. I, <laughs> I got a little bit of the janky flash like combat and I was like, uh, I'm so out. Good. I'll wait. I'll wait for the real thing. Don't worry. Um, but I am still excited. I've been seeing like some of the Kickstarter updates and getting excited. Uh, for the folks at home who may not know, Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself and then maybe a little bit of your uh, history with Octopath Traveler. Sure. Yeah. Well, so I am a reporter uh, for Bloomberg News. I'm also the co-host of the Triple Click podcast, which everyone should yeah. check out. Um, and uh, yeah, I reviewed the first Octopath Traveler in 2018 for Kotaku, where I was working at the time. And I was lukewarm on it. I was probably a lot more critical than most other reviewers from what I saw, um, including, I believe, you, Nadia. I think you were more positive on it than I was. Um, And the main reason for that was that even though a lot of the the kind of the core elements of the game were really good, like the visuals and the music and the battle system, which I loved. The structure of the game just was so tedious and monotonous that it just wore at me. Um, The fact that like every single chapter in the game with maybe one exception followed the same exact rhythm where you get to a Mm. town, you use your character's special ability, you go through the same style of dungeon and then you fight a boss and that's it. And you have to do that 31 times to to finish the game. (laughs) Um, The one exception was uh, Ulberic the warrior had one chapter that was like battles in a coliseum and there was no dungeon attached. So that was the one exception. 31 other times it was the same formula. I'm impressed he kept count. 
I just <laughs> yeah. I mean, out. well, it's eight Edged times under the eight wall. times four, so <laughs> it's it's not super tough. Um, but yeah, but it was really frustrating for me because there was so much to like about the game. Like, for example, I really loved how the side quests, instead of telling you exactly what to do, would like kind of give you hints and let you puzzle it out yourself mm. in ways that were are reminiscent now of Elden Ring, which I thought was awesome. I love games that like require you to keep a little journal and kind of think for yourself a little bit instead of just putting markers on your map the battle system is brilliant and it's very similar in the sequel so we can get into that a little bit more when we mm -hmm. talk about like what's the meat of the sequel um but yeah the structure just wore at me the writing i thought was pretty mediocre especially haanit's chapter mm. um she of course was the hunter who just like spoke in gobbledygook um <laughs> oh, and the stories yeah yeah the stories were not did not quite do it for me and didn't really like the, the game as a whole just felt like this kind of jrpg experiment that i was not into and then when when i saw there was a sequel announced i was like oh whatever i don't really care that much but now spoilers <laughs> i can't stop playing it i'm i just hit 40 43 hours and i just beat the first like uh, beat one of the stories for the first time so beat my first character's story and um i am hooked it's like it's it's getting up there if, the con if it stays this consistently great it might be up there with like my favorite jrpgs ever wow. i don't know i don't even want to say that because it's so premature but, ah, it's it's really good i, I was just gonna say it's so wild because i had the same exact experience with octopath one where i went in and i think i put about 20 30 hours into it and i could not i was wikipediaing like what happened in this video game like what did we even accomplish while we were here? And <laughs> what did I we just, accomplish? I just remember same thing. Like the the Octopath One theme is an all timer. It's a banger. Oh, but yeah. and the battle system was neat. I thought it started to get thin the more that game went on. And none of the characters outside of their designs and, and maybe like the the capitalist merchant girl who was just fun and, and endearing, but none of the other characters really stuck out to me in any way. Uh I am having the complete opposite reaction to Octopath 2, where it feels like I think a lot of people went into this game thinking, oh, okay, they'll just take number one and then maybe they'll make the storylines intersect a bit more and then call it a day. But no, there are a lot of really smart, interesting changes to the Octopath formula in two that I am frankly amazed at how good this game is. It is, I, I, I'm almost sitting here like Square. Why aren't you you boosting this more? We're doing we're doing the blunderbuss thing all over yeah. again. We're like, this is legitimately quite good. Like it's it's a solid RPG. Um, it's funny you say Square. Why aren't you boosting this more? Because literally two minutes ago, I got an email from Square mm. Enix, like their mm -hmm. press what, or not press their like newsletter thing, being like, I can have Traveler Two out right now. So <laughs> right, right. Hey, they they have done enough. some like you know accolades, trailers, and stuff uh -huh. like that. I just you know. One of the weirder parts of this is that it is a multi-platform launch, whereas I think the first Octopath really did benefit from being a, a Switch. Switch RPG, yeah. first mm -hmm. and foremost. But Octopath 2, I'm playing it on the PlayStation 5, and this game looks really good at 60 FPS, like running on some like real hardware. I'm going like, oh, I've always played HD 2D on the Switch because I'm like, oh, I want I want to carry it everywhere. It's all that. But when you put some hardware behind it, this this look can look really, really good in some of like the big cities and the large areas you go to um, New Delsta, which is I started with Throne, the thief, and that's where you start out. And just immediately I was like, 
this looks amazing. This looks really, really good. Uh, but yeah, I'm having a completely different reaction. Now, Nadia, you have not played Octopath 2 yet, right? Uh, I did, I've did. i done the demo. I okay, started the with the, okay. the Wolf Girl, so of course I did. Um, have either of you... I'm sure you've played that, that chapter by now, but uh, that was interesting because the thing I love about that is you open up with the wise lion telling you choose your companion carefully and you have the owl mm. or you have the jackal and i'm like uh that's a hard choice but i went with the owl because i like nighttime i like the moon mm. i like birds mm-hmm. i like owls and the other one you don't you don't choose just bashes kicks you aside just like goes crazy and, and attacks you and i'm like that is so amazing when you think about pokemon like choose your starter <laughs> oh imagine like choosing charizard and, and squirtle comes and kicks your ass that would be pretty great it's, it's the memes of like you get to pick one of these characters and all the others are going to try and hunt you so who are you picking to defend you yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah. that with <laughs> with animals i think you picked the right one too because i think the owl uh attacks like elemental weaknesses yeah, the owl, it reveals elemental weaknesses which is really handy yeah that's like one weird thing in this game that I have noticed is that elemental is harder to hit in this game yeah. than weapon has been in my experience, but that's like a very granular uh, thing to discuss. But broadly Octopath Traveler two uh, as of today, as of when we were recording, this is out today, February 24th for the switch PS4, PS5 and PC, a multi-platform launch like we talked about. And right away, big difference. I mean, we can first off say that it's not, a, a sequel in the proper sense and no, that no. it's not like a continuation of octopath traveler one this is very much its own thing i guess jason did you like expect any level of that were you hoping for any continuation of the story or are you kind of enjoying the fact that it's a standalone thing again yeah no i i was totally on board with the standalone thing it seems like there are a couple of references i mean there's a the mm-hmm. chapter if you guys get up to the chapter with the cleric temenos mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. uh his chapter i mean it starts with like uh, a lore dump about a, the gods and the gods uh, are very similar to the ones in Octopath 1. So there are definitely some references. But yeah, I'm totally on board with a totally new game, especially because Octopath 2, so Octopath 1 was set in kind of like a traditional medieval fantasy world. Octopath 2, even though it feels like a medieval fantasy world, it is technically set in like more of an industrial revolution, mm. 1800s mm-hmm. type of world. And there's a plot involving steam engines um so it feels it has more of like a final fantasy 6 feel where it's a little bit more industrialized than the first game was yeah oddly enough the first thing i thought of and maybe it's because of the very southern western theming that they're doing with uh some parts of this game is i was reminded of wild arms a little bit yeah like this is definitely an era of rpg like in rpg setting we don't always get to see you know we'll have far future rpgs and we'll have far past rpgs but having this sort of turn of the 20th century they're discovering things like electricity and steam power and and the things that are conventional you know amidst all the magic is really entertaining to me really engaging to me because it is we can start to see that clash of magic versus machine and, and engage with some of that stuff that's really interesting and as a Final Fantasy VI fan, I'm always going to be here for steampunk versus magic. It's just <laughs> in my blood now. Yeah, I noticed the Huntress's story was kind of tied into humans expanding their territory in mm-hmm. the annals in the GTFO. So I figure that's all tied up in, in one mm-hmm. big overarching uh, plot. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting the sense just from what I've played so far. So I've put about 20 hours into it and I haven't done all of the character recruitments yet because I got a little sidetracked by some of the side stories and dungeons that we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, 
it does seem like there is an overarching plot that will tie all of this together. There was a journal entry I found in the warrior Hikari's path uh, that very much felt like them dropping a piece of lore and being like, there's a, there's a thing happening here. It's, it's happening everywhere. There's, there's things in motion, which I do like because Octopath one, my understanding of how that end twist that tied them all together, came together was very, um, and there was a bad guy and he was behind it all along. So you got to go fight him. And this one feels like it's tying those threads a little bit more naturally and weaving them in through the stories. But I will say even just from the demo from the chapter one stuff, the stories are so much better. The writing is so much better in this game, like leaps and bounds ahead of Octopath one. I am floored by some of the stories I've seen, like Hikari's The Warriors is very, very good. Uh, I really love Throne's. Oswald's, which is basically just Count of Monte Cristo, the RPG. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> wrong. Who knew that would work? Uh, do you have any standouts for you, Jason? Yeah, I mean the the writing is really leaps and bounds better. I just finished Throne's story um, mm. about <laughs> twenty minutes ago, and it's got some really evocative um, just storytelling towards the end, and just really good writing. Um, yeah, that one is a standout. Oswald is really good. Temenos is is mm. one of my favorites as well, and Hikari's some uh, as as usual i mean look eight stories they're not all gonna be diamonds <laughs> and yeah. you know, the story of agnia the dot the mm. dancer who wants to make it big in the big city is pretty pretty weak um from what i've seen so far but yeah i mean there's always gonna be a winkling but yeah i think you're right i think the writing the the two things that really just elevate this into a great RPG and really fix what was broken in the last game are the writing and the storytelling, which, yeah, just way better. Um, and also the structure of it all, which mm, uh, mm. also influences the writing and the storytelling because the storytelling doesn't have to fi- follow the same kind of formulaic rhythm as the first game. But the structure, this is the most important thing. There are chapters in this game that have no bosses. There are chapters that have no dungeons. Mm. There are chapters mm-hmm. that have multiple bosses. There are chapters that like uh, play around with a formula and just go have you go through a dungeon and then a town and then a dungeon or whatever it is. And it doesn't even, it's none of it has to be groundbreaking or anything. It's just different. And that matters so much after the first game. And the first game was so frustrating in how it just followed that same friggin' pattern over and over again. And this game just blows that out of the water. It's completely different. There are... Uh, stories that instead of just like following a linear path the way that the first game did, um, they actually branch. And so it might say you might play chapter one of throne story and then chapter two is split into two parts and you have to do one in one city and then Mm. another in another city which again none of this is like revolutionary here for video games but for octopath traveler and it it is and it combines to create this package that is just like so so good and working so well for me and and um yeah it's just way better (laughs) the storytelling is just way better yeah, it strikes me as a, a game that really does want to evoke the, uh, of course, the 16-bit era, which is totally fine. But as you said, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to stick to the same formula over and over again. Just mashing things up, it sounds like it's just uh, nothing super innovative, but it doesn't have to be. Because you're calling a tribute, you're recalling these games that came before and were excellent for their own reasons, and you're building on that to make it even better. 
Yeah, I mean, the innovations come in other ways, right? Like the structure mm-hmm. really just helps the game not feel stale the way the first game did. Um, and then the innovations come through the quests and the battle system and the way that like content is zulled out, the way that like you're you're just running into all sorts of cool little secrets as you explore. Um, there's an entire... Uh, water section now where you can get on a ship and just like Mm -hmm. explore a bunch of islands and stuff there's tons of like random little secrets and lore and stuff and what's really cool about this game is that um i think elden ring comes to mind i don't know why it keeps coming to mind as a comparison but i think it's really um that this game instead of just kind of like hammering you in the face with lore and just cinematics that just like bore you to death with with bits of knowledge about the world a lot of it you have to just kind of discover organically which i think is really interesting so for example um every character you have has these kind of abilities you can use outside of combat when you're in town so you can, mm-hmm. every time you run into an npc you can use one of your character's abilities and there are different ones for day and night which is a new feature yeah it works pretty well um and uh th- there's these these abilities they're they're not super special or anything but they're they add some more flavor to the world because when you run into some guy like say you find a guard outside of a town um, you can go up to him and you can use Throne's ability to steal his stuff and hey you find out he has this cool uh, looking silver coin and you can go nab it and just sell it for uh, for extra gold um, next time you're in town or you can use um, one of the various abilities that let you kind of identify a person and, and figure out the lore behind them I like um, that, yeah. which mm-hmm. tells you a whole little story and maybe this guy is like maybe sometimes they're really funny or interesting like you know, this guy might the, the lore text for this guy might be like uh, he's a loyal guard but he often sleeps on the job and then like you show up at night and he's sleeping or something like that um there's a lot of cool stuff like that i mean here's a perfect example so this is a little bit of a spoiler for a side quest so warning fair warning skip ahead a little bit if you don't if you want to be totally untarnished but i found this amazing side quest so once again the side quests they don't have like markers or anything they just kind of like Mm -hmm. leave you to figure out what to do so you get into this shop and there's a little girl and a woman and a shopkeeper and you talk to the little girl and she's frightened and suddenly a quest pops up and it's called like the disturbing shop or whatever, the disconcerting shop. And you're like, you have to figure out what's going on in here. And you talk to the girl and she's frightened. And then you talk to the woman and she seems a little off too. She's like talking about how she's going to go on her trip with her amazing family or something like that. I don't remember exactly. And then you use the ability to find out information about the family and you use it on the girl and it'll be like uh this girl is the daughter of a shopkeeper her mother died when she was young and you're like wait a minute if her mother died who is this person this woman standing here and then so you use one of your other uh party members ability to knock out the woman um because mm. that's something you can do in this game and when you do that suddenly a cutscene plays where the little girl is like that woman was a thief she had like a dagger to uh to my daddy and thank you so much for saving us and stuff like that and you only do this like you you have to piece together the context loose for yourself mm. to figure mm-hmm. out that this woman something is off about this woman so it's it's a little thing but then there are some that are much grander and much more like like globe spanning where you might find someone in one town who's connected to someone in another and you have to piece together the clues so a lot of this is really Really, really cool stuff and really um if not 100 percent innovative at least makes it feel different from most jrpgs and makes you want to keep playing because you keep wanting you want to find stuff and you want to uncover stuff for yourself it's like super appealing to that part of my brain that just wants to be like solving puzzles and going on adventures and like doing these cool quests that don't feel like 
checking off a to-do list yeah. with like markers on the map everywhere. I remember in the first game, there was a, I used that ability on, there was a dog and it was telling me this whole story about how this dog was like, you know, respected by all her male peers. And she had like four puppies at home and it was really cute. She had to like move away from her puppies to go work at wherever it was she was working. So she's like miss- talking about how she misses them. And I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. I love it. Yeah, it's I, I'm glad you brought that up, Jason, because like that is one of the things that has surprised me a lot with Octopath, too, is this feeling that they have laid out almost like a D&D campaign, all these potential leads that you could chase if you wanted to explore, if you wanted to talk to people. Um, I did one in New Delsta that was about trying to get a gambling husband to try and stop gambling all the money away. <laughs> and it Gambler. explicitly tells you, hey, you're going to have to figure this out. We're not going to tell you how to do it. And you're also going to need to uh, you know, be aware that there are multiple solutions to some problems. So you could theoretically come up with a few different ways and it seems like they have accounted for that because i i found a solution to that one eventually but i don't know if it's the one that was intended or the one that you know is just works or if they intended for all of them to work it's it's really cool but they do have those moments of oh yeah okay i'm connecting this to this and so maybe if i do this and it makes the path actions which i think in octopath one felt way too much like just I would like to engage in gameplay now. And you'd walk up to somebody and be like, I'm going to do my path action to move the story forward. Now I'm using path actions all the time. And I love some of the things I discover with it. And it feels like I'm more engaged with the world because of it. I'm not just running through a town because I'm like, oh, well, I got to go over here to to go find the person to start the next chapter story. I I haven't progressed very far in the story because I'm just so obsessed with these little little side ventures that you can do because it's so easy to get lost in them. They're really, really fun. As you were talking, I was like, I think I just figured out a solution to one that I've been stuck on for a while. I think I figured it out. It's really, really cool. And I I, I do kind of wish that there was more of an emphasis on it um, leading into this because I feel like that's an aspect they didn't really talk about. They talk so much yeah. about the crossed paths and the ways in which that like these characters are going to be more intertwined and it does seem that way. You're, you're further in than me, Jason. So maybe you can speak to like, does it feel like the characters are more intertwined than they were before? Yeah. So, okay. So one of the biggest complaints about the first game was that it was eight people all with totally different motives traveling together for reasons that are never really explained. And that's still kind of the case in this one. There's less like, out and out just like nasty people in your party the way there was in the first game so it's Mm. a little clearer Mm -hmm. why these people might be traveling together um but more importantly there's a ton of what's called party banter which is it says in the top right hey party banter time and then you press the plus button on the switch and you go into party banter mode where two characters will chat with each other and have a fun Mm. little conversation sort of like a skit in a tales game or something like that yeah it's only it's one-on-one so it's never like the entire party it's always just one-on-one but it adds a lot of flavor because they happen a lot more often than they did in the first game and oftentimes it's people who are in your party commenting on the story that is unfolding. So it's kind of an optional way to add a little bit more of that interaction that people are looking for. You're still not going to see like multiple characters interacting in a, in a story cutscene or anything like that. At You're least not going to get to see them like 
pawing at each other like to do in Xenoblade Chronicles 3. No, well, doing each other's could, hair. Yeah, that I, <laughs> I'm fine with, it, with losing that stuff. Um, oh, I love that stuff. It's so cute. Uh, maybe maybe I'll do more of that stuff in the final, final chapter. But um, but yeah, but you are getting, getting to see. So like um, the, uh, I don't know, the knight character might might do something and then the thief character makes a comment on like oh i respect that you made that decision and they go back and forth and then mm. sometimes there there have been some cutesy stuff um especially with the hunter huntress who uh loves to eat and so a lot of her little skits are about her love for food and other silly things uh we'll get i guess we'll, we'll talk about the kind of the super moves that they have uh when you charge up and you press the x button on the switch but there's one when she does it and she's powered up all the way she just screams i'm starving I'm like, I love this kid. It's, yeah, it's, it's extremely, yeah, extremely cute. Um, the other thing, other than the party venture, there's also what's called cross path stories, like these side stories um, mm-hmm. that are basically just side quests involving pairs of characters. So mm-hmm. each, there's four of them and it's two characters each. And um, it seems like the stories uh, are each in like two parts. Um, I've done the first part of all of them, but haven't yet unlocked the second part of all of them mm. um and those are cute they're a fun little diversion um some are better than others just like the main stories but another way to see the characters interact and then there is going to be uh i haven't finished the game but there is a final final level where everybody comes together and interacts in some way so tbd on what that looks like and uh what it is but i man my counter i think my playtime is like 43 or 44 hours at this point and i feel like there's still a ways to go so man this game is humongous uh much bigger than the first game from what i've seen so far uh which in this case is a good thing like usually i feel like most video games are too long but in this one i feel like i'm just spending every minute of my free time playing it and cannot stop so i'm i'm pretty well hooked in a way that i haven't been really i haven't been this hooked by a game since elden ring i guess that's why i keep making the comparison because mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was the last game where i was like every moment that i'm not playing it i want to be playing it and I, octopath 2 has it's has its hooks in me in the same way i keep opening the map and being amazed at how much there is that i haven't been to yet because and you haven't even gotten the ship yet so you don't know yeah i haven't it. even i don't have enough money for the boat yet and i'm still just like there are stretches of land all over this map that i'm going like what what could be there and every once in a while i stumble into a dungeon that's like oh it's 20 levels above where i'm at i can't do that now (laughs) but i have to like make a mental note of like okay come back here although i will say actually i want to i want to uh bring up a quick point on that which is that i saw a couple of reviewers like complaining about grinding which i think was a fair complaint in the last game but in this game i've found that you can actually beat stuff that's pretty pretty far above your level as long as you have good equipment and good strategy and strategy plays is a really big role in this game um, in a way that it doesn't in most JRPGs, which is yet another reason why I'm loving it so much. So maybe try that dungeon 20 levels ahead of you. Maybe 20 is a little too much, but still always worth trying. I, I do think it not to turn this into review discourse, but something I always kind of take into account, even when I was playing like Tales of Arise for review, I think there's when you were playing a game for like an embargo deadline, you have that like, okay, I mm-hmm. need to finish the critical path by mm-hmm. X date. And so for, for people who are maybe taking it slower, like me who has spent 20 hours in this game and has not finished all the chapter ones yet, because I am so obsessed with the side quests and the dungeons and stuff. 
I'm not having to grind because I'm just going into these places that are off the beaten path that are I'm spending time walking around wild areas that have enemies. So I'm naturally getting a lot more XP than if I was just trying to run A to B through them. Uh, And so I do think there's that aspect, too. And I am kind of interested to see that because, you know, we've reviewed RPGs on all three of us have reviewed RPGs on a deadline before. And, you know, how that feels versus when you're just playing an RPG naturally. Um, yeah, it's true. Of the beast. It's true. It's it's a shame, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I do want to bring up about the combat: the combat is largely the same. It is your you got those little mystery boxes, and you got to figure out which ones slot in there, and and how you break the enemy to destroy their shields and open them up to not just uh, gain a turn advantage on them, but get the the debuffs and stuff on them. But one of the big things that I think has really opened up Octopath and made this battle system sing in a way that the first game did not is the latent powers because every character has their own latent power this like limit break that they have that is their own special ability and what I've really loved about them so far is that for a bunch of these characters like uh, Agnia is a good example of you can take any single target ability and if you latent power it, now it's an, an all party or an all target mm-hmm. ability. That is way more flexible than you think it's going to be because suddenly this now opens up so many different things that are targeted single party buffs are now party wide buffs. And you combine that with Agnia's dancer ability and recruit ability. So you get like a minstrel who will play an extra song when you do a dance and give an extra buff to people. So you're now doing a double buff across the entire party in one turn, or you do throne A's, which is you get to act twice in a row and you don't get extra boost points from that, but you do get to say, set up certain combinations of attacks, apply a debuff, and then use an attack that does more damage. If the enemy is debuffed, that sort of thing. And the combat just feels more interactive and less like I am putting in the right sequence of abilities to break and then do damage. And, and I don't know if you felt that way or not, Jason, but I, I really love the combat in two. Yeah. And there's a lot of room for synergy because of that. I think you're spot mm. on the, these limit breaks really add a lot to the combat and make it even more puzzly. And the first games was great. The whole, the weakness system is really great because it's a lot more flexible and, and strategic mm. than you think. Um, for example, so when you break an enemy, okay, they have this little shield number that goes down every time you hit a weak point, And when you get it to zero, they're stunned and they can't act for a, a turn. But really, you can make it so they can't act for two turns by breaking mm-hmm. them before they act on the current turn because it'll count mm-hmm. whatever the current turn is and then the following turn. So mm-hmm. if you set up an enemy so they're about to get broken, um, but you only have one character left, what you can do is you can defend with that character and they'll start on the next turn and then they can break them at the front of that turn. Mm-hmm. So you have two turns to do full damage and knock them out of commission, which is just like a subtle little thing that you can think about as you're keeping track of everything. Everything. And yeah, with Throne stuff, I mean, what I found really effective and one of the reasons that I'm able to get through this game without grinding and just like power through bosses really strategically is um, I do a lot of like setting up a single power, a single character, in my case, Hikari, to do 
crazy amounts of damage to a boss. Mm -hmm. And you can Mm -hmm. do that in, again, really strategic ways by looking at the turn order and being like, okay, I'm going to have Throne use her move to get an extra turn so she can debuff the boss and then she can use an item to boost Hikari's BP so he can boost up his strength when he goes. And then I'll have him on his first turn use a strengthening ability and basically just setting up for this one big ultimate attack and then you and you there are items there are a lot of items that you can use in really smart ways to like boost various things including that limit break which uh is another really smart thing that you can do that this game offers which is just like giving you a ton of different options to do a ton of different things um and really like by doing this kind of pseudo math in your head and mapping out exactly who's going to go when and what that's going to look like, you can do all sorts of cool planning. And eventually I have it set up so that Hikari uses his limit break and at full boost with strength buffs to do like tens of thousands of damage to mm-hmm. the boss, which is just really cool and just feels really good and um, allows you to get through the game without mm-hmm. grinding at all. It's really cool. Yeah, it really does feel like the battle system in Octopath 1, I I felt like it was very good. If I wanted to teach somebody about turn-based battle systems and RPGs, it was a very easy one to understand. It was, you you kind of knew what the goals were, but it didn't really extend further beyond that for me. It never felt like it challenged me. It never felt like it pushed me to engage with it beyond just like hit the right targets and then break and then do damage. This game feels like it is asking more of the player to engage more with the systems and then also rewarding that engagement effectively i I think of just little things those those little perfections those min maxes that you were just talking about where you're like setting up and then executing the even stuff outside of combat where i found uh an item that lets you if you're wearing it anything that has a negative value so like a downside now becomes a positive Mm. so you can take some of those weapons that have really bad downsides Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden oh they're really good if you're holding this accessory and there's like Uh cool little ways in which you can kind of toggle things and mess with things in that well, there are like, those rosaries have you gotten one of the rosaries that oh, is like minus it? oh man well so there are these rosaries that are like minus 60 of i forgot what it is exactly but it's like really it's negative minus 60 of two different things so you mm-hmm. combine those two and you got some powerful stuff you've, you've got it then and, and you're, you're getting nothing but benefits and that's rewarding you for having read the text understand what the items do and applying them to your characters and this is all stuff that we've talked about on this podcast before that I love about that little minutia that you can get into the, the crunchiness of the RPG that I, it's so much fun to see Octopath two lean into. I think it would have been so easy for Octopath one to feel like a safe follow or, or for Octopath two to feel like a safe follow up to Octopath one for them to just kind of come out. Here's another eight stories. Here's uh, a thing that ties it together. It's, it's just a good old time. And we've seen that a few times before. I feel like the Voice of Cards series was very much that way for Square Enix, where they were like, well, Voice of Cards 1 uh, was a fun old time, so let's do two more of those. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've I've loved in all the ways that Octopath Traveler 2 has kind of bucked my expectations for it and completely surprised me. Uh, and maybe it's because I went in with low expectations, but it has been something that is really amazing. Nadia, how have you been feeling just from the demo impressions so far? Oh, so far it's great. Like, uh, I'm looking forward to really encountering a lot of the stuff you guys are talking about. Uh, I've only just started to really get the hang of the battle, so I can't really say for sure, mm. okay, this is how it feels different for me and how it feels the same because it's been a long time since I played the first Octopath. But 
I mean, I love the first one, so I feel like it's hard to go wrong with the second. Mm-hmm. You you start with Ochet, right? The 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 huntress. Ochette, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you recruited any of the other characters so far? No, no. Um, I just did the demo for her, and uh, yeah, that's all I really. I'm gonna need you to have. go. I'm gonna need you to get rest of the eastern. I feel like the eastern continent is all like the edge lords, like the sad people. <laughs> of course, and then, they're like, all from the western, east coast. Western continent is all like the the yeehaw giddy up folks. Um, <laughs> I love true. Particio. He's so much fun. <laughs> Do you get a horse? Well, his his theme is just the the best. And oh his, God, so his good. musical track is just uh-huh. this jazz number that really would not be out of place in like an 80s sitcom intro mm. uh-huh. it, the the music in this game again it would have been so easy for it to just be you know fantasy themes and and just kind of a recitation of octopath one but you do have those moments where you go into like particio's town which is this old silver mine town and it has that kind of like jazzy beat to it and you're like oh okay okay you go into throne's city which is like this humming uh, hub of industrialism and and these big buildings they're being built up like like turn of the century New York almost you're seeing like electric lights start to become more popular and uh, industry thrive and factories thrive and it's got like that kind of sound to it where again this is something you don't always see in fantasy usually if they go anywhere near modern they end up like jumping the shark and just going all the way into sci-fi yeah (laughs) so having something that has a bit of that flavor to it i feel like we only really see persona grapple Mm -hmm. with um yeah and the other thing by the way one more quick thing about combat is eric you haven't you might not have like really had a chance to play around Mm -hmm. with this stuff yet but there's also this job system where every character can equip a secondary job and there are also some hidden jobs that are like uh unique um and that just adds a whole level like all sorts of new depth to um, the kind of the abilities that we were talking about before. So like Temenos um, has this limit break ability, latent ability, whatever you want to call it, to um, make all of his attacks uh, break an enemy's shield. And so if you combine his that power with like a warrior ability or like a scholar ability that lets you do a bunch of attacks at once, you can just smash through enemies and like just totally break break them so Mm -hmm. again it's like i think that that if um despite any complaints that you might see about grinding um i think if you're if you're just like if you figure out how the game's combat can really be manipulated and played around with and and do it in a smart way i don't think you need to worry too much at least from what i've seen um about grinding although i will say like one of the annoyances about this game, just like the first game, is that characters who are not in your party are not gaining any experience. So Why? they're mm-hmm. sitting behind in the tavern. And Why? of course, if you want to do each, you have to have each character in your party when you want to do their story. And so, for example, I got to chapter four of Agnia's story and she was only level 18 or something because I hadn't been using her. Um, and I have to, at one point, to advance the story, I have to go to. Uh, an NPC and use her one of her abilities um, mm. but you can't use it on the NPC until she's level 25 so I was like oh god I have to grind, go grind mm. her up um, but what I wound up doing was going into an area that's like high leveled and just exploring because I hadn't explored it yet and she just kind of naturally uh, gained the experience and I didn't really have to grind because I was just exploring so it did work out but that is a little bit I mean that would definitely be considered like a level 
gate that you have to pass. So there are, are stuff like that. But when a chapter says, for example, each of the chapter, I should be clear, has like a level under it that's a mm-hmm. recommended level. Um, so for example, most of the final chapters say recommended level 45. But you can get through those with in like late 30s, early 40s with yeah. good strategy. So like the, the level gates are not, um, at least the, the recommended levels are, are not level gates. Yeah, and I think because the game is giving you so many reasons to want to explore off the beaten path that if you're just kind of being conscious of that and being like, okay, you know, I've been, I've started to do this where it's like, okay, I've run around with the party I've got right now and I can kind of swap some people out. You know, broadly, if you adhere to certain party archetypes, you will always have the path actions available to you that you need. So you can actually get pretty creative and swapping around whoever you want to make sure everybody's getting XP and yeah, I they give you a world that is worth doing that versus just being like, well, you got to walk out into the the tall grass and fight Pokemon until you're high enough <laughs> level to take on the gym. Like yeah. that's instead they are giving you like things to do. So it is, I guess, grinding, but they're like making grinding fun by tying story and lore and just little neat activities into it. That do yeah, work. I don't think it's grinding unless you're walking back and forth in a circle like. Getting, right. Like, yeah, trying yeah, exactly. To gain levels. I've. I know grinding. I yeah. I, I played <laughs> you know <mono>. the grind. <laughs> yeah. Um. I the the jobs thing too. I I think some of the jobs and there were side jobs in Octopath One, but they were very like end game things. Yeah. Uh. There are like some secret side jobs in Octopath Two. I only have one of them so far, which is the inventor. Mm-hmm. Uh. But I absolutely love it because you can just launch a catapult that shoots different weapon types at the yeah, enemy which is pretty broken Andy. really entertaining like like it, it's it's really good to provide you know like a, a one hit break on everything that's on the field it's it's mm-hmm. great for dealing with like kind of mobs that you run into out in the overworld but also just the idea of dumping a bunch of daggers into a catapult and launching it at the enemy is very fun hey as long <laughs> as it works fun. uh I haven't run into any of the other ones yet, but what I've heard about them makes them sound very cool. And also like you unlock them through doing interesting things and not just through like, Oh, you found the shrine. Good job. Here's your class. Like you have Mm -hmm. to do some stuff that's kind of involved and plays into the world a little bit. And yeah, well, so the normal ones you get from shrines, but, uh, the secret ones. Um, so you'll get the, like the main, the main eight characters, each of their classes you'll get from just discovering shrines along the way. Right. Yeah. They, they have like a license. They have a license system now, right? With yeah, the guilds? sorry. Correction. Yeah. You'll get the those <laughs> from the guilds. The mm-hmm. shrines give you abilities for each character. Mm. So the shrines are still there for okay. serve a different purpose. Yeah. So the guilds, that's another just cool little thing that just adds you more incentive, adds more incentive to explore. The guilds give you licenses and you can get up to the first one is free, which means um, one character can equip that job but then if you do stuff for the guild which is like you might have to go steal something for the thieves guild or you might have to like bring a bunch of ingredients for the apothecary 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 that's always a hard one for me then you can unlock more licenses and then so multiple characters can equip the same sub job which is really cool and then on top of that each of these guilds they'll tell you rumors about like secret uh powerful items that are hidden throughout the world and they'll give you clues about how to find them and it's just like another thing again i've been taking keeping a journal of all this stuff because there's so many different bits and pieces so many side quests so many like characters giving you hints about things to find or things to do and it's just uh really um yeah just really cool 
really exciting. It just feels like one big puzzle in a really, in a way that just like really appeals to me. So on a closing note here, uh, we've talked a lot about Octopath. I imagine we'll keep talking a lot about Octopath on this pod because obviously we're not finishing it anytime soon. No, <laughs> and, no, you are not. And we'll probably be playing and talking about it for a while too. I imagine Kat's going to have some takes. I hope Kat, when you're listening to this, you who uh, proudly said I do not like Octopath, I, I hope you try this one, Cat. <laughs> I think you will like this. Please Gauntlet pick up down. a copy while you are out getting cigarettes, like you told us you were for this podcast. <laughs> um, but I'll leave us with one final question, and I'll start with Nadia. Does this feel like a franchise is a Bruin for Square? Does this feel like Octopath is getting to the point where? You know, it's we're not going to put it on the realm of Final Fantasy or anything, but does it feel like with one solid already well-received entry and now two doing even better, does this feel like something that Square could be turning into, oh, we've got another RPG series that we want to do a continuation of and keep carrying forward? I would hope so, but with Square Enix, you never know. Uh, It could be that Mm -hmm. it doesn't make as much money as they want, but it's going, the reception's really good. It's mm-hmm. got it's on multi platforms, and um, I think a lot of people are going to be intrigued hearing. Okay, maybe I wasn't so big on Octopath because yeah, I do admit that it was a divisive game. But hearing that oh two is generally much better, a lot better structured. By the sounds of it, the team is also now knows what they're doing with this formula and what they want to do with this world and this this art style. So I really hope there is the the starter franchise. I'm not saying like you said that I want one every single year, but once in a while, let's hear oh here comes Octopath Traveler. Oh boy, and now I'll just wait for Dragon Quest Builders three, and everything will be great. <laughs> dragon quest builders three win come on uh, uh dying jason how about you you feel like octopath is becoming a franchise yeah i mean it feels like really the team asano stuff is becoming a yeah. franchise mm, with mm-hmm. octopath bravely default triangle strategy live live alive mm-hmm. um i wouldn't be surprised if like next year it feels like we're getting one of these once a year so i yeah. would be surprised if like next year we see triangle strategy too or, or bravely oh, default three or something I can and then help another active path and yeah i'm not sure how well these games sell but um uh they can't be super expensive to make especially compared to like some big budget bust like for spoken mm-hmm. um so big budget bust that's yeah a nice i mean it's, yeah it's not so so i don't think it's like these can't be a huge um investment for square and they get all they seem to like be getting at least a loyal fan base out of them. So hopefully um, if you had asked me a couple, like a few weeks ago, like, do you think Octopath Traveler should be a franchise? I would be like, wow, whatever. But, um, but I really think, and the other thing we haven't really discussed this, but there's also a mobile game that I think is is fairly popular um, uh, among a bunch of folks. So that uh, I think adds to, adds to the, the franchise flavor as well. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm telling you guys, like, I don't know, maybe in a couple more weeks, I'll have changed my mind. Cause like I'll have hit some hard grind part point in the game and I'll be like, fuck Mm -hmm. this. But at this point, I like I love this game so much. It's like really up there for me. And so if we get a third one that's just as good, I will be thrilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being at the point that I had already dropped off of Octopath one this far in and I am eager to just keep playing more and more of Octopath two and it's drawing me in the more and more I play of it. I feel optimistic about this series. Uh, and, and to your point, yeah, I like that. Octopath doesn't just give 
Square Enix a thing that is not just a big budget game, but also, you know, as as fans kind of see some of these games like Forspoken, like the trailers we've seen so far of, of Final Fantasy 16 kind of leaning more towards, you know, action RPG, like not quite traditional uh, that those those folks who want that traditional quote unquote RPG, I feel like they will get that in Octopath too. Uh, and, and in things like live alive and all that. So mm-hmm. it's been nice to see that even as the overarching stuff carries on, we're still getting that undercurrent of, of classic RPG and stuff that does not feel so hollowly nostalgic the way that other attempts have. I know I've talked a lot of crap about Tokyo RPG factory on here and, and other, other attempts. So many people have tried to make an old school RPG and appeal to that thing. And I think Octopath Traveler two is really forging ahead and, and saying like, no, there's, there's this, this feels modern in a lot of ways, but it's still very classically sense, very traditionally like turn-based a lot of the things you would want from this, this kind of game. So, yeah, it seems like Asano is like, uh, is really filling the role that they hope Tokyo RPG factory, yeah, would, exactly. but they, they never could. And so they have team Asano cranking out these like really solid, like I would say good to great, uh, mm-hmm. games at this point. And I feel like they're getting better and better as they learn more stuff. Um, yeah, as exactly. Absolutely. Figure out it. Like I thought Bravely Default 2 was better than the first game. I thought Triangle Strategy was pretty good. And I bet a sequel would fix a lot of the things that that game mm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, is flawed at. So, yeah, I'm pretty optimistic. And especially after this one, just really excited about about um, the future of this franchise, I suppose. That's well, Octopath Traveler 2. Jason, so thank you so much for hopping on, chatting yeah. with us. Uh, it was great Anytime. having you on. Yeah. See you guys uh, next time there's Suicode and stuff. Hell, we'll, yeah. we'll put you on the docket. We'll have you on the short list. Uh, before you Can't bounce, wait. Jason, uh, plug some stuff. Where can the folks at home find you? Yeah, go check out the Triple Click Podcast. We have a lot of fun making that thing, and I'll probably be ranting and raving about Octopath Traveler 2 there a little bit more as well. All right, folks, we'll catch you back on the main show in just a minute for Jason, for Nadia, and myself. We'll see you all in just a hot sec. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back, Nadia. That was a wonderful little segment about Octopath Traveler 2. I feel like we learned so much and grew as people. We grew as, we grew as a family. We grew mm-hmm. as a Flipgod family. No, that was a great discussion. Thank you very much to Jason Schreier. I know you're busy as hell and taking the time mm-hmm. out. We will a definitely father. be seeing you. A for father. The- <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, we'll we'll be bringing Jason back for some uh, Suikoden, Ayaden stuff for sure. Uh, that yeah. is that's a foregone conclusion at this point. Uh, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about Octopath Traveler 2 because as we said in that segment, that is a serious contender that I did not think would appear. And I am amazed by the way in which the more I play it, the more I dig into it, uh, even since we recorded that segment, uh, I am just loving it more and more. So the, the, one of the things I like to see best in this industry, especially in the RPG industry, is when a team just takes a great idea they had and just improves on it within leaps and bounds. Like, I mean, like I said, I love the first Octopath, but I understood why people were a little bit divisive about it. I kind of like the repetitive setup. I think it all kind of came into a nice spiral, but they, I can't argue that what they did with two was just really, really just like, Hey, Hey, we have this great foundation. Let's adjust a few things that need adjusting and Holy crap. What a difference that makes. Uh, kind of the same with Xenoblade Chronicles. I adore two, as I've said many times, but going to three, it's like, Oh my God, you guys learned a few things. Like, that's amazing Mm -hmm. keep it up well keep it up indeed and we will keep playing more of octopath but for now it's time for the pantheon revisit for the week this week it's one that's a little special to little me it is mass effect one which did get into the pantheon and i'm just going to start this discussion off saying it needs to stay in the pantheon I my love for Mass Effect one has somehow only grown and I was talking about this recently. I actually think because of the legendary edition, a lot of people had some time to go back and really engage with Mass Effect one. I think for a long time, the the discussion around Mass Effect one was, oh, you can just skip it. You can just jump right to two. And I am I'm not going to say it's my favorite. I, I, I still have a real soft spot in my heart for Mass Effect two. But I think I would put Mass Effect 1 over Mass Effect 3. Uh, and I think that's where I have landed in the is in the 213 camp. And oh God, why did Kenneth Shepard just DM me? <laughs> did he know? <laughs> oh God. Oh no. Dude, He's actually he... messaging me about Normandy live on this podcast. Wow. That's, he, uh... he knew his scar hurt. <laughs> <laughs> then he becomes a cop and a scar will never hurt again so don't worry about that oh god uh yeah so um mass effect one nadia how do you how do you feel about it no i mean it's a great game i have no problem with it being in the the pantheon at all i just i'm gonna go ahead and segue into the fact that i interviewed the creators of star control over at retronauts if you want to go listen to that i think it's on the free feed by now and just going through mass effect and seeing oh man this is so star control like i actually Mm. like that very much seeing the aliens like oh hey i know that dude so i appreciate it for being the legacy of star control for sure and uh yeah like it's just one of those without question things you go back to it now and you can kind of say oh this is a little bit primitive compared to like what things have improved upon since but it's not like oh god this is so outdated that i can't play it it's very it's aged pretty well so here's the thing about mass effect one I think Mass Effect 2 is a game that's very much dirty dozen the game, right? Mm -hmm. You are building up your squad to go on this eventual suicide mission into the the IFF relay um, or not the IFF relay. That's the thing you need to go through the transport, the 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 relay that's going to jump you into the bad place. And you're going to go on this mission eventually. So you're kind of building up this ragtag group of uh, outcasts, vagabonds and such vigilantes 
and you're you're building up loyalty with them in order to get them to trust you and also i I, i've talked a lot about this on on another podcast norm dfm which is a mass effect and other video game retrospective podcast but one of the things i like about mass effect 2 is that the main drive seems to be a lot of these characters being willing to like like getting to a place where they can go and potentially die on this mission and ironically by helping them settle their affairs you are ensuring their survival and i think that's kind of an interesting narrative push and pull that happens mass effect 3 i have problems with and surprising many of you out there it's not with the ending uh i i have other weird problems with mass effect 3 we can talk about some other time but Mass Effect 1, for for the faults that it has in the shooting kind of feeling a little wonky and all that, number one, I think the Legendary Edition cleaned a lot of that up, yeah, felt a so. lot better. But number two, Mass Effect 1 was when the series still felt like it was about discovery and about exploring and about going to unknown places. I was talking with a friend of the show, Michael Hyam, about this recently that like, you would get in the Mako and you would just kind of go places. And that was something yeah. that they took away in later uh, entries. Uh, and that they actually, I feel like Mass Effect 1's best follow-up in that spirit is actually Mass Effect Andromeda because it does put you back on the ground and asks you to explore and look for things versus just kind of like pulling up a planet and shooting probes down and all that. Uh, I really do think that ME1 captures that feeling of you are in a universe that is so much larger than yourself, you know, that you are just one piece in this giant cosmic puzzle and you are hunting a needle in a haystack. And I think it's a really compelling theme because the, the dream of sci-fi is something that is massive, something that is terrifyingly massive and beyond your full comprehension of what it may be. And that's why the Reapers work so well. That's why Sovereign is such a good moment in that game. And uh, I even so <laughs> Abby points out in the chat and there's so many weirdly identical facilities and all these different planets. That's good. OK, good I, limitations. I, don't, I, I don't care if like limitations just meant that they could only really like make some of those. But also in real life, we would prefab all those things as if That's all true. the colonies that we would dump on the planets wouldn't just be made out of shipping containers. I like that. I think that's cool. I genuinely think Mass Effect one with the Legendary Edition refresh uh, is a Pantheon contender. And honestly, one of the best when it comes to embodying what the original pitch of Mass Effect 1 was and what a sci-fi RPG can be. So I will be showing sure. the bat for it heavily in the Pantheon Thunderdome. And folks, that's coming up. I believe we have that currently slotted for April as one of our specials. And uh, it's going to be a good time. We're going to revisit the Pantheon, all the games we have put into the Pantheon or blocked out of the Pantheon. We're going to see who deserves a second chance, who maybe has not kept their pedestal and deserves to be knocked loose. I know we caused some drama on here recently uh, by saying that System Shock 2 is not an RPG. I saw comments about this. Yeah. I saw y'all. That does not mean it's not in contention. It will stay in contention. That was more of a, uh, I, I think, an interesting avenue thought experiment to explore in in what has become a regular bit here of what is an rpg oh. <laughs> what makes an rpg the eternal struggle uh but we will talk about system shock 2 and deus ex i believe they're both 
Pantheon games. Is Deus Ex um, in there? Like, I know it's I in the forgetting. top 25, isn't it? But top 25 so. does not mean Pantheon. So That is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we will be talking about all of the immersive sims. Do not worry. Uh, along with all the others. But until then, Nadia, why don't you take us home? Like I was saying on our pre-show, I have a balcony. I'm on the 15th floor of a building. Been here for about 20 years because God bless rent control. And a long time ago, I bought like a covered litter box for my cats. And my orange cat's stupid and he's a coward, so he will not use covered litter boxes. So I just kind of stored it on the balcony for in case we ever need it. Which, you know, if we went on a trip or something and a friend was taking care of the cats, we'd use it as an extra litter box or whatever. But most of the time, it just kind of hit, sits out there. And then Pigeons discovered this litter mm-hmm. box, which mm-hmm. was clean, by the mm-hmm. way, so no worries there. But yeah, first of all, pigeons like to have sex on balconies. And when they coo, they coo loud. And that just drives my cats up the wall. And so like a cycle of, uh, of just chaos in my apartment when that happens. Like the cat thinks, Toothless, who <laughs> if you're watching us, like she's right behind me. Like she thinks like, oh my God, I'm on Pigeon Patrol now. And she'll just stand at the window forever. But... <laughs> Pigeons are having sex on my balcony. Sex leads to babies. They like to build. There was a couple a few years ago that tried to build a nest in this covered litter box because, to be fair, the good shield from the elements. Unfortunately, that was a very cold spring. It was there was a lot of wind. It was very uh, chilly. Uh, the pigeons, unfortunately, the, the babies died and left them for me. So thank you so much, pigeons. But when I went to clean up the unfortunate mess, because God, I'm not going to leave it there. I realized these assholes built their nest out of zip ties, plastic zip ties. Yes, the kind of zip ties you're picturing in your head, all fresh, all new. Where the hell did they get zip ties and why did they think it would be a good nest? Now, if you look at pictures of pigeons online, you will see they suck really bad at building nests. I don't know. Like, I don't think pigeons are dumb, but dear God, they're not really interested in reproduction, apparently. And uh, yeah, so once again, I have pigeons courting on my balcony and scoping out the the litter box. And it's like, uh, I should chase them away. But you know what? I'm not going to do that. Please don't build your nest out of zip ties again. That's all I'm asking out of you, you, you fuzzy brain bats. Just come on. Do me a favor here. I don't want to clean up your dead babies again. And you know what? I like I like watching nature from the angle of the city. Toronto has a lot of really mm-hmm. like great ravines and forests and stuff like that. Like hell. In the north end of the city, there's a whole big ass forest where we learn how to like tap trees and make maple syrup, and that's really cool because it's right beside like where I used to live, and I'm just like smack in the city practically. So yeah, I'm all about you know harmonizing with nature and living with them. But for God's sakes, I'm not taking care of your. I'm not your undertaker. Please learn how. Listen to the voice of God or whoever tells you how to make a nest. Stop blocking him out. Stop putting God on hold. Just. Build a good nest, raise your babies. I want to see the cute little babies. Apparently, pigeons grow up very quickly. And uh, yeah, fly away and repeat the circle of life. Just keep me out of the nasty part of it. Nadia, have you seen the the major motion picture, uh, The Other Guys? No, but I'm guessing this picture you posted has something to do with it. So there is a running bit in this movie where uh, I believe it's Will Ferrell's car is continually uh taken control of by a group of 
uh, vagrants for rampant sex <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Dirty Mike and the boys keep on uh, getting in the car and just going wild in there. And Nadia, I hate to say it, but it sounds like you had the pigeon version of Dirty Mike and the boys hanging out <laughs> in your additional litter pot. <laughs> Well, they're back. Good luck to them. <laughs> yeah. Try to keep this. Just try to keep the volume down. Those those bastards get loud. Uh, good to know. Good to know. Should we ever have that problem? <laughs> I think yeah, that was a got, pit. You heard it here first. <laughs> that was definitely a pit. Oh, that's going to do it for our episode here of Acts of the Blood God for this week. Uh, not sure what next week's episode will entail, but probably more pits. You know, who can say <laughs> more Octopath, more pits an Octopit, if you will. And we have plenty of specials coming up. As always, please tune into all of our social media. You can find me at C Moosey. That's S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Cat Bailey, who could not be with us tonight, is at the Catbot. And uh, Jason Schreier, I believe, is just at Jason Schreier on Twitter. I'm double checking that. But I think he's got a normal Twitter name, you know? Yeah. Unlike not the like rest the of rest us. of us. <laughs> oh, not uh, the normal. Well, yeah. But then you also go by like three other screen names. So <laughs> I do. <laughs> yes. Jason is at Jason Schreier. Thank you so much again, Jason, for tuning in. And thank all of you, including our lovely Stars of Destiny, for for hanging out. And listening, we'll be heading into the post show now with those stars of destiny before Nadia, for Jason, for Kat, and for myself. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Acts of the Blood Cat. Yeah.